Welcome to The Struggle is Real by Family Bridges. Well, hello everyone and welcome to the Family Bridges, The Struggle is Real. In its last episode of the special relationship talk series from the 2017 NARMI Summit in Denver, Colorado. I am your host, Omar Ramos, along with... Veronica Avila, and I'm pretty sad because we're leaving Denver already. Yeah, it's been great to us. Yes, it has. We've hashtag met a lot hashtag of great, good times. Yes. And we've met a lot of great people, great experts, like today. Today's podcast is going to be very interesting, very important topic as well. For all of you parents out there that are divorced, you want to listen to this podcast. It's called Talking to Your Children About Divorce. It's a tough topic, but it's a must in many cases. And to help us learn more about it, we've invited Tammy and Jay Daughtry. They are both marriage and family therapists at Co-Parenting International. And they're also, well, Tammy is author of the Co-Parenting Works book and also helping your children thrive after divorce and One Heart, Two Homes Co-Parenting helping children thrive after divorce. They're actually both co-producers of this curriculum. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank it's you an for honor. Us. So divorce is obviously tough, and I don't think anyone plans experiencing something like that, especially when you ask somebody to marry you, and then all of a sudden some, sometimes things go haywire. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, it happens, and many times children get the worst from it. And we're going to go ahead and uh, listen to our first scenario that we have. This is called In the Middle. You sure you don't want me to stop for anything? No. I don't just mean food. I mean like anything at all. You need some new clothes or shoes or something for school. No. (laughs) Something for fun. No, thank you. I'm fine. All right. You know, I want this to be something we can talk about. You and me. I I I know this is hard for you. For everyone, really. But it doesn't need to be that hard. I mean, just because your mom and me aren't... uh, together anymore doesn't mean you're in my relationship needs to change but it will change it has no choice well i don't know about that i mean you're a great kid a great person you're amazing not like your mother at all i I surprised you come from the same gene pool if i'm being perfectly honest don't do that what talk about mom like that at least around me All right. All right. Whatever you say. It's just, well, you know what she did to me, don't you? I mean, what do you think about it? I don't want to pick a side. Oh, no, 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 no. No, of course not. I I don't want you to. Let's get that straight. This isn't about sides. Your mother and I both love you. (sighs) Well, here we are. Would you look at this? Brand new house. She sure is spending her money, huh? Anyway, um, your mother and I both love you so much. And I just want to make sure you and I are okay, right? And, and I don't want you thinking just because your mother says hateful things about me that I'm going to say hateful things about her or that either of us loves you any less. I mean, you can trust your mother even if I can't anymore. I see, Mom. I'll see you on Sunday. Oh, all right. Well, have a good weekend. Love you. Love you, too. That was your father's new car, huh? Well, anything to impress those bimbos, huh? Don't let him think for a second that I don't know what's really going on. He's such a womanizing ass. Mom! Yes? Nothing. Let's go inside. 
Of course, Cat. I'm sure you're excited to see your new room. I have it decorated just the way you like it. And if you don't like it, well, we can just go ahead and redecorate, can't we? Whatever we want. Just us girls now, and that's how we like it, isn't it? Uh-huh. No stupid dad around to lie to us or make us feel bad. Uh-huh. Okay, so we're back. Wow. And, uh, wow, that was interesting. Uh, so we have this 13-year-old girl who's literally in the middle mm-hmm. of her parents' chaos. It sounds uh, that it could be very damaging. What damage does bad talking about the other parent do to a child? Well, I can tell you that's a pretty common scenario, quite honestly, unfortunately. We always talk in our co-parenting work about kids and their their divided self, that they're going to feel torn between mom and dad, even if mom and dad don't talk bad about them. But when you add the negative language, the derogatory assumptions, the tone of voice like that, that is literally taking their heart and just pulling it in two. And we always try to tell parents this mantra of one heart, two homes. Your kids have one heart. They're going to come and go in two homes. And what you say and often what you leave unsaid is what will keep their heart whole. And so in that scenario, you definitely see they're both, you know, knee-jerk reaction about things related to money and dating after divorce, and it triggers both sides. One of my biggest concerns, and it's tough for parents, I'm, I'm a divorced parent. I've been co-parenting 17 years. My daughter's dad is remarried. I'm remarried. And so life is complicated. But I can tell you this, from the very beginning of my journey, and I'm an adult child of divorce, so I have a lot of tools from my own childhood to lean into. Two commitments I made is I would never speak ill of my daughter's dad, and I would always say positive things about him. Over the years, I really have held myself to that accountability that I find positive characteristics to say to her about him. And when we do the handoff, and that's a big piece of of this whole life after divorce is the handoff, is I prepare her well, I give her verbal permission, go have a good time with your dad. And I mean it. There's not a hook. There's not an emotional anchor. There's not a, a, you know, yeah, and come back and tell me about the bimbos, you know. And what you feel inside is different than what you express. And, and trying to zoom out and remember that kids have a divided self. What you say and leave unsaid either helps keep that whole or it completely pulls it apart. And then if possible, I would challenge anybody listening, pick three positive things to say about that other parent and say it to them often. Tell those kids, hey, your dad, he's a hard worker. He's funny, makes people laugh and who knows, whatever it is about him that is a quality that you can uphold. And to the dads, you know, pick three good things you can say about their mom and, and say that to them. You know, your mom was, she's, she's great at, you know, if she has a job, she's great at that career. Uh, she's good at music. Gosh, she's a great cook. And it's not an emotional hook that you still want to get together as a family, but you're giving your kids permission to be proud of each parent. And that helps their self-esteem. Um, it helps the whole journey. So those are pretty common handoffs. That's kind of what it is like when people aren't thinking ahead of it and trying to be intentional. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Now, there's other uh, other scenarios as well. I don't know. For some reason, sometimes it becomes kind of a competition between the parents who's going to get the love of the kids. I'm divorced myself, and thank God we don't have that issue. I think we've talked about it to be able to, yes, talk positive things about each other to our kids. It's hard sometimes, It's hard. but we stick to it. But I did get a chance to see one of my cousins with her ex-husband. There was a competition of who could outdo the other, which was very harming to my niece. He would buy her stuff, 
And then she would go back home without that stuff. She had to leave the stuff at his house. And then she came back home to her mom. And of course, he was financially well. She wasn't so much. Mm. So then that, that caused friction. That caused some kind of a negativity in, in, in that relationship. Obviously, my niece, when she was a little girl, or at least my cousin thought that she was being bought by her dad. Mm. You know what I mean? So that he was buying her her love. And what damage does that do to to that relationship between the daughter and and the mom and the daughter and the and the father? Well, what you end up doing is is just as that scenario and some of the things we heard in that uh, skit is that that emotional hook. They're trying, like you said, to outdo each other, mm-hmm. right? And so, in every scenario, when a divorce happens, uh, very rarely is it completely amicable. In fact. Usually it's never, and very rarely is it actually mutual, right? Someone's being left, and the person who's being left has this whole treasure trove, if you want to call it that, of hurts, pains, and frustrations. And so they feel like they need to try to be vindicated in some way. You know, so, so they start talking bad about the other parent, or they start trying to outdo the other parent. In this case, you know, a father trying to buy all these gifts. Oh, here's all these wonderful gifts, but they can't go with you. Mm-hmm. Oh, they have to stay here, you know. And so now when you go to your mom's house where you don't have anything nice and no fun toys for you over there because mom's just not as good a parent as I am. He may not say that with his words, but that's the emotional message and that's the emotional hook he puts in her. And so as she goes back to mom's house, she is feeling all this pain because on the one hand, she's a kid. She can't help but think, oh, those nice toys, I really like them. I wish I had them. Mm-hmm. And now her loyalty is challenged. Within herself, she feels this, this struggle between the loyalty of, I love my mama, I love my daddy, but I feel sad because my toys are back at dad's house. And so that makes her feel like she's being disloyal to her mother. Mm-hmm. And so now she feels bad. So what's happening, mom and dad are playing this ridiculous game of trying to outdo each other. And the child in the middle is being filled with guilt and shame as they find their loyalties being challenged at every direction. And I think the other message it gives kids is that, you know, you're a dollar figure, you know, Mm -hmm. that this relationship Mm -hmm. isn't based on love and interaction and having dinner and doing common everyday family things. It's, it's about money. And, you know, and imagine kids, they grow up feeling like they're defined by how much money is spent on them. And that can play into a lot of long-term <laughs> issues. You know, girls who are just given everything all, every time they ever want, all the clothes, all the makeup, all the whatevers, they're finding their identity in that instead of in understanding who they are as a valuable young woman. And so I think it can play into, I mean, we already have <laughs> in today's society, you know, so many identity issues that kids struggle with, mm-hmm. trying to figure out who they are, what do I stand for, who likes me at school, all of that. And then you add all that into it, it can really... I think make a kid feel like I'm just, I'm kind of a tangible piece mm-hmm. of something and I've got a dollar amount that somehow defines the love of my parent. And that's, that's in the long run going to really, it made short term, you know, kids are going to love it. Gosh, I got all these of gifts, course. right? Mm-hmm. But in the long run, um, you know, what do you want these kids to remember 20 years from now about what their definition of love was? Is it about the iPod and the, what's something expensive for a teenage boy? <laughs> Oh, really nice bike, skateboard, bikes, skateboards, you know, all those kinds of things. You know, sure. it's, it's not about that. You know, you want to pour love and healthy parenting into our kids. I mean, a big piece of it is telling them no. 
actually giving them boundaries and helping them understand that, no, we can't always have everything we want. And again, obviously, parents will play that against each other and the more financially stable one can take advantage of it. But what if we flip that on its head? You know, what if divorced parents, if one has more money, the other one doesn't? What if behind the scenes, they actually work together for the best interest of their kid? Mm-hmm. Not to outdo each other, but to make sure their kid always had what they wanted. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, <clears throat> I may get choked up. <clears throat> when a kid understands that their mom and dad are on their team together, even if their marriage is divided and they know I can lean on these two people, they're always going to show up. And if one has less, the other one takes on more. That's the story of what family means, Mm -hmm. even if you're divided. (sighs) And I'm choked up because years ago, probably when my daughter was six, seven years old, we were kind of in that situation. Her dad was doing great way up the food chain in banking. And I'm proud of him. Thankful for that. I was starting a nonprofit and, you know, kind of fish and loaves, trying to make it all work. And it came up to making some decisions about, I I can't remember the specific, but it was something about camp. There was a moment that I knew, because we usually we share all those expenses Mm 50-50. We share time 50-50. But I knew that I wasn't going to be able to make that extra contribution. And as much as I wanted my daughter to go, I just knew that this was going to probably not work out. However, in trying, because we co-parent and have meetings and we talk privately, you know, in trying to decide, is she going to go to this, that, and the other, I simply said, you know what? I can't contribute to that this year. I'm sorry. I'm just in a tough place and I can't. And he, he said, well, I'll take it on. I'll, I'll write the check. And when in the very beginning of our divorce, my divorce attorney wanted me to go for the jugular and stick him for all the money I could get. And I told her, no, I said, no. Because if he has to get two jobs to make it all work, my daughter will have the worst version of her dad. Mm -hmm. I don't want that. So I didn't, at the beginning, stick it to him. Mm -hmm. And when we came, you know, five, six, seven years down the road and and things were tough, because we had built a history of not playing those games with each other, then when I needed some support or an opportunity for our daughter to do something that I couldn't contribute to, he stepped up. And he didn't step up, up and hold it over my head. He stepped up. So in some of these moments of whether we're going to outdo each other or we're going to think about it like a team, we're setting decades of a stage on how this is going to go for kids. So I I just champion the idea of not trying to outdo each other with dollars because kids need to know they matter because you love them, not because you have a big checkbook. Definitely. Cora, that was uh, very powerful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. Uh, We're speaking to Tammy and Jay Daughtry from Co-Parenting International. Now, I want to switch it up a little bit here, and I want to ask you, Jay, maybe you can help me out. How can parents deal with their emotions when it comes to their divorce so that it doesn't spill over on the kids? It's a challenge. Um, I think sometimes this is easier for men just in the fact that we kind of have a natural compartmentalization in our processing. 
right? We have a tendency to be able to keep things in little boxes in our brain, so to speak, you know, <laughs> and that's why in one of those boxes is filled with nothing. And so women, when you ask a man, you know, what do you think about? It? And he says, nothing. It, it's true. There's nothing in the box. There's nothing in the box at the moment. It really is. But because we do that, you know, this thing doesn't touch that thing, doesn't touch that thing. We take the box that we want to deal with, you deal with them. Uh, ladies have a process that's more like spaghetti. Everything's connected. Everything's yep. connected. Mm-hmm. Everything's intertwined. And so for each the men and the women it's a little bit different to do that but the challenge is for them each to move toward the center there for women to figure out how do I compartmentalize the pain I've experienced with this person so that I can communicate with them for the purpose and the benefit of our children and men at the same time instead of being so compartmentalized that they step all over the toes of this person that they're able to move toward a place of being aware of things that might hurt or things that sound harsh and getting to a place where they're each able to step into the same space somehow having an intentional plan to meet together and figure out okay it's not about us we're not here to relitigate the things that made our our family fall apart and our relationship crumble we're not here to be vindicated from the pain that I, I've caused you or you've caused me. We are here with one thing in mind. We're going to have discussions. We're going to have meetings. We're going to have phone calls, emails, texts, and the whole filter we're running everything through is what's in the best interest of our child. What are their needs? What are their needs socially? What are their needs emotionally? What are their needs academically? Whatever it is that's going on in their life at whatever age and stage they're at, those are the things we focus on. And so it's it's really getting through and navigating that pain is a giant reframe and changing our perspective and instead Instead of looking at each other, we're turning our eyes down toward our children and looking at our children and functioning almost like business partners. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the way you have to start to function. You have to realize, I mean, because let's face it, folks, we go to work and sometimes at work, the people we work with or the bosses we have drive us crazy. They trigger us in so many different ways mm-hmm. and we just don't know what we're going to do. If we had to live with them, we'd probably kill them. You know, we just... <laughs> You know, but we don't live with them, right? And we have a job to do. And so despite the fact that we can't necessarily get along with them on a personal level, we figure out how to function as a team for a singular goal. And this is the same kind of a mindset that mom and dad have to take on, that we're partners in this business and the business we're in is the business of our children, their health, their strength, their happiness. And so the process of moving out of that pain really starts with figuring out how to compartmentalize so that your communication becomes healthy and specifically directed toward the needs of your children. Can I tag one thing in there? Go ahead, please. Um, You know, one of the the big issues post-divorce is isolation. You know, you go from being a team and a family, then you're living in two separate places, you're a single parent. Sometimes, and, and for me it was the case, the first time I ever completely lived alone, you know, I had roommates in college, I was married, so I had a roommate. First time I lived alone was getting divorced. That's a tough place to be. Mm-hmm. And so being aware of, of what kind of isolation could be damaging to you is important. So instead, 
I call it the 3 a.m. friends. Find three people that will be on your team emotionally, as friends, as sounding boards, people you can talk to and go to during the day or in the middle of the night if you're having a really hard time. Because like, you know, Jay said, yeah, men can compartmentalize emotions a little better. Women, whew, we're a big old mess. Mm -hmm. And so um, having those three people that you ask intentionally, would you be my 3 a.m. friend? Can I call you in when I'm really angry at my ex, when I'm really missing my kids, when I'm just falling apart and I don't know what to do? Doesn't mean you have to have the answer, but just be a sounding board that I can talk to. The other thing is we, we really try to talk to parents. Your kids are not your counselor. Mm-hmm. They're not your confidant and they're not your companion. Mm-hmm. And in that first couple of years post-divorce, it's really common by default for a single parent to really lean into their kids, tell them way too much, cry around them a lot, <laughs> and then lean into that love relationship as almost like a, a companion. And it's really important that we don't do that because it's not our kid's job to take care of us. So many kids that we've talked with and worked with across the country, there's this common theme that, man, the one thing I wish would have been different when my parents divorced is that they would have been more stable than I was because they recognize they've often had to step into the role of caregiver for a parent, emotionally being, you know, their go-to person, even, you know, an older sibling taking over to do all the cooking and cleaning because, you know, parents just not able to do their job. Mm -hmm. And so paired with the idea of having a healthy support system, having those go-to people that can help you and being really intentional to not lean into your kids, to be your counselor, your confidant or your companion, but put your emotional needs over into other pockets with people who are adults, who are appropriate confidence, go to counseling. That's Mm -hmm. one of the things I really recommend for kids and parents, get into some healthy counseling because This is hard stuff. And if you adjust and do some of the hard work, the self-care in those first two years, it can set you out to actually be more stable and more have more of a thriving life later. There's actually research that proves that, that you you can adjust well to divorce. Two years later, you can be more stable than you were in a really unhealthy, unhappy marriage. So so those are my nuggets to share about the emotional part of post-divorce. Thank you. Great tips. Veronica. We're going to go into our next skit. This is another scenario called PowerPoint presentation. Mom, dad, have a seat. (laughs) What's all this? This will be a lot easier if you just have a seat. (laughs) Okay. Eva and I have put together this presentation following last night's ice cream incident. We have some important points that we believe you need to hear. Did you put together a PowerPoint presentation? Dad, please, let us finish. (gasps) Eva. Thank you, Riley. Next screen, please. We all remembered what happened last night. Mom, you wanted an ice cream, please. Dad, you picked an ice cream, please. Mom did not like that ice cream, please. So Dad picked another ice cream, please. And mom didn't like it either. And it goes on and on and on until, well... Let's just say that no one had ice cream last night. (laughs) Kids, your dad and I just had a fight. It happens. We apologize. Mother, please. Next screen. If you turn your attention to this screen here, you will see the crux of our argument. Why you two shouldn't get divorced? (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. We're not getting divorced. But then why did you say last night? And I quote, I never want to get ice cream with you again. Pretty harsh words, Mom. (laughs) And I didn't mean them. 
look, this is a difficult situation. We get it. But in the long run, it's best to figure these things out now, not draw them out painfully for the years to come. You had a good marriage. You tried your best. Now it's time to face facts. Your mom and I aren't getting divorced. We love each other. He's right, guys. Not that we don't appreciate your presentation, but I think you might be overreacting just a little. Denial. We've seen it a hundred times. Does this have anything to do with Scott's parents? Ava? Not at all. Are you sure? We arrived at this conclusion based on an independent basis. You mean you guys aren't scared we might get divorced just because your friend's parents did? Absolutely not. Maybe a little. Ava? What? Guys, people fight, especially in a relationship. But it doesn't mean we don't love each other, and it doesn't mean we aren't sorry. I love your father, and we love you guys. Trust me, you have nothing to worry about. Are you sure? Because according to this pie chart here... Where did you learn how to use PowerPoint? They taught us in school. (laughs) Okay, well, not that I'm not thoroughly impressed, but are we done here? I guess... Yeah. Do you guys want to get ice cream now? As long as you promise to be amicable and considerate to each other's feelings. Deal. Deal. Well, all right then. I hope you've both learned a valuable lesson. (laughs) We We did. did. Good. All right. So we heard two bright little kids (laughs) putting out a PowerPoint presentation because they thought their parents were getting divorced because they couldn't agree to get ice cream. Mm-hmm. Goodness. Okay, talk about influence, right? This came after learning about their friend's parents' divorce. Sure. How can parents use a window of opportunity like the one we just heard to talk about divorce? Because I'm not sure that they had heard anything about divorce from their parents. We don't know much more. But if this comes up, how can a stable marriage, you know, mom and dad, talk to their kids about divorce? Mm. Well, that's an interesting question. I would say, I mean, obviously in today's country, divorce is very prevalent. Remarriage is the number one family type in America. So probably you're going to school in kindergarten up and your peers, if your family is a traditional family, you'll probably be possibly the minority, which is sad. I mean, because we certainly believe in lifelong traditional family. I think it would be important to talk to, I mean, the mom kind of started to touch on it there that, you know, even healthy marriages, we do have conflict, but conflict doesn't mean abandonment. Doesn't mean that one of us is walking out the door if we have conflict. Now, it never feels good to kids if they're witnessing mom and dad argue and fight. Um, and I think one of the real keys is to, if, if parents do that openly in front of their children, is to circle back and be able to explain the important commitment is we are in this for life. Our goal is we are never going to walk away from each other. However, sometimes families find themselves where one or the other doesn't want to do that anymore. It's like a a baseball team will say, you know, sometimes you decide you don't want to play that sport anymore. And sometimes you walk away quickly. Sometimes you walk away angry. But the team that is remaining still needs to be a team. And for kids to understand, again, it 
a lot of that depends. It sounds like those were maybe elementary age. Mm-hmm. You know, you would give them kind of a different context than you'd give middle school or high school because high school questions are going to be much more blunt and much more challenging than the younger kids. But I think it's important to help kids understand that that parents that love each other still have conflict. And the point is we're going to respect each other. We're going to work through our conflict and we're going to find solutions. And hopefully parents can take most of that behind closed doors. But that's a really interesting uh, skit there. And I think in our co-parenting book, the editor um, that read it and worked on it, she was a married mom, four kids, happily married. And she said, Tammy, everything in this book is relevant to married families. Mm-hmm. I said, what, what do you mean? She says, well, you talk in here about intentional communication, having parent meetings, keeping the conflict separate from the children, never speaking ill of the other parent. She goes, I had read the chapter about that, not speaking ill of the other parent. And she said the next day, usually when we have conflicts, she said her and her husband, you know, she get upset and her little seven-year-old came to her and said, mommy, why are you so mad at dad? And usually she said she'd start down a list because your dad's an idiot. And he made, he forgot the trash and he told me this and da, 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 da. Kind of dumps her anger on her mm-hmm. kid. She said, Tammy, I read your co-parent book. And that part about not saying negative words about the other parent, it was a wake up call. She said, so I found myself, I stopped. And instead I said to my seven-year-old, you know what? Those issues are between your dad and I, and it's not your job to worry about. Dad and I are going to work on that, but it's not your job. You just be you. Dad and I'll work on that issue. And she said it it challenged her to do better in compartmentalizing their conflict, but to try to let her children know, yes, we do have conflict, but it's not your job to fix it. For sure. Thank you, Tammy, for that. Now, I'm going to pitch this one to you again. All right. How do we deal with a child that might be feeling that his or her parents' divorce is their fault? How can we Mm -hmm. reassure them that it's not their fault? Mm Mm-hmm. What, can, what, what steps can we take? Well, I think there's a number of things there. Tammy talked earlier that uh, a big part of post-divorce adjustment, both for the parents and for the child, is getting good counseling, being able to find someone that they can talk to. Because as much as their parents want to be that person to be able to talk to them, they are not going to voice that because they already are internalizing the guilt. They're already pointing the finger at themselves and feeling somehow I'm responsible for this, right? Part of where that comes from is, is they recognize to some degree, mom and dad were together before I got here, but then I got here and now things broke apart. It must be my fault. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's important for the parents to be careful that they're reinforcing to the child and talking to them. And even though the child may not actually say those words or voice those opinions, that they express very clearly each parent on both sides of that issue, being able to express to them that what was going on here is an adult thing. It happened between mom and dad, the only people responsible for our not being able to be together anymore is ourselves. We're the ones responsible for this relationship that kept us mom and dad, husband and wife. And if we're not now, that's our responsibility. We couldn't make that work. That is not your fault. It will never be your fault. And then, as I said, follow up by making sure that kids are able to get some counseling because Mm -hmm. this is just like death. It is death. It's death of a dream. It's death of, of hope. You know, they have this wonderful picture, both the parents and the child, of what family is and that extends into the future. And now that's broken. It's lost. So there's, there's grief 
there's a lot of grief there and children and adults both, but especially children need to be able to go somewhere and talk to somebody who will help pull those things out, help them have a voice because right now they're afraid They're afraid to offer that voice because, of course, in some ways they feel like they're responsible. And how terribly fearful would that be to actually bring the question out and then have them affirm that, oh, yeah, it's my fault. Mm. That's terrifying. So they're never going to say it. How can you ask the question when you're afraid that it could be the answer that you don't want to hear? And so they're not going to ask that question. And so what's helpful is being able to have that third party that they learn to trust, that they develop a relationship with, and that counselor, child therapist is able to help them confront those questions and work through those things. And in the same way that the parents would be pointing toward themselves as being the responsible parties, they're able to help that child realize, hey, this was a mom and dad thing, and they love you tremendously no matter what. And you being you is, is not in any way had an impact on whether mom and dad were able to stay together. So, and there's some great resources out there, books uh, that are specifically written for children about divorce mm-hmm. that help them process what that's all about. And so having that third party option for a mom and dad to mm-hmm. be able to sit down and let a child go through a book or go through it with them and be able to point to that situation and then find out, so, you know, what did you think about that? And bring out specific questions, because most of those books actually give parents a process and set of questions to help interact with the child in that, so that they can get a healthy perspective of, of the divorce and not internalize that. One of those books is, it's been out for a while, and I just got some more copies of it off Amazon. It's called When Dinosaurs Divorce, and it's written in a sketch, kind of a comic visual. Mm -hmm. But I always challenge parents, even if their kids are teenagers, to get online and get one of those and go through it personally as a parent, read it, and then ask your kids, can we sit down and read this? And really, you know, both mom and dad have a copy at each house because it helps create conversations that give kids a way to to speak up by those pictures and talk about how they feel. But like Jay said, I think the most important thing is they have a trusted outside person to talk to. And and if it can't be counseling, if they can't afford that, if they're in a church, find a youth pastor or a trusted adult in their extended family, maybe an aunt or an uncle, somebody you know is safe and is going to not take sides or or try to get in the middle of the messy divorce, but Mm -hmm. just simply listen to the kids. Big brothers, big sisters, some of those organizations across the country really help give kids a mentor in their life. But it's um, at all ages, really important. They have an outside person to talk to so that whether they can articulate the question or not, they have somewhere they can say, man, this sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I hate it. You know, or, or like the, the, you hear the, the tone of voice in that first skit, that teenager, she's so annoyed at having to go back and forth between two houses. She can't really say that to her parents, but it would be helpful if she had somebody outside. She could really just kind of verbally vomit <laughs> and get that out and then, you know, know that she's safe to do so because... Unfortunately, most parents, if, if you say some of those hard things to them, they're gonna, it's going to trigger their own thing. And they're going, oh, well, this is why we're divorced, because blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And they'll turn it about them instead of the kids. So unfortunate. So definitely getting additional resources in that third person out there. Mm-hmm. I know it's difficult at different stages, I guess, of the divorce. I know that Dr. Alicia Laos has talked to us about the different stages after divorce. So there's a grieving period. time, period. Yeah, yeah. 
and then parents can isolate. I know I can identify myself with that. Mm -hmm. where sometimes you don't want to talk to anyone. But then you also have to think about what's the benefit or how is that going to affect your kids? And I think it's important. As a divorced parent, I'm, I'm realizing it's important. Okay, put yourself aside and think about your kids. What's the best for them? Because at the end of the day, we want the best for them. Right. So thank you for that. And the healthier the parent is, the healthier the kids are going to be. Definitely. So. Okay, we're going to go back a little bit. Um, <laughs> That tough conversation with the kids about getting divorced. This is called Shakes Hands and Divorce. There you go. Mm. So we agree? Absolutely. I think it's best for everybody. And you don't mind the schedule? No, it's fair. I can live with two weekends a month. I'd rather keep the lawyers out of that part if we can help it. Okay. I have to say, I respect the way you've gone through all of this, Tom. Uh, thank you. Likewise, I, I guess. I, can, can we go through the rules again? Sure. You don't think it's too much, writing out rules? No, I think it'll give the kids a little structure. Okay. Number one, encourage honesty. No matter what you're feeling or what you want to say, it's okay. We're here to listen. Number two, it's okay to have hurt feelings, but we are not going to say or do anything to hurt someone's feelings. Number three, just like always, if you hurt someone's feelings, you'll apologize. Number four, life will go on. We will go to school. We will go to work. We will go to the movies. We will eat healthy. We will have friends over. We will go to bed on time. Things are going to change, but many things are going to stay the same. Number five, we will go to counseling once a month to share our feelings until we all agree we are ready to move on. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. You ready? As I'll ever be. Tom, I... <clears throat> I just wanted to say... You don't have to say anything. It's just that... Well, thank you. You're welcome. Now, let's go tell our children we're getting divorced. So we just heard Tom and Katrina go through their divorce plan, which may sound, for many parents that are listening, may sound like a little awkward. How are you going to have a divorce plan? But in reality, it's much needed, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, that's a that's a beautiful illustration of what it could be and should be. You know, we're co-parenting international, mm -hmm. and a big part of what we do is is helping people in that post-divorce single parent situation, and they're transferring their kids between two homes now, and helping them figure out how to navigate that. And so the principles that we're talking about there begin right there in that moment. The first time they've made the decision, they know they're getting divorced. The very first co-parenting opportunity they have is when they tell their children about that divorce. And so it's so critical for them to process everything they need to ahead of time, away from the children. And to be sure that they set those boundaries, those rules of, okay, we can talk about this, but we won't talk about that. They need to anticipate some of the questions that the children may have. 
And when some of those awkward questions come, be prepared then to give a very specific general answer, right? Mm -hmm. Sounds like an oxymoron. But what I mean by that is they've specifically discussed, this is how we will answer that question. So both parents know, no surprises here. No one's throwing anybody under the bus. And we're not going to open this can of worms about all the things we couldn't get along with. And that didn't work in our relationships. And we're not going to start the blame game and point at each other. Because the worst thing that could happen in that moment is for that to turn into a great big fight and for those children to be sitting there having this bomb dropped in the middle of their lives and have no one to offer them triage. Mm -hmm. No one there to pick up the pieces. No one there to sit next to them as they cry. And there's going to be a lot of questions that you can't answer. And so you need to be prepared for that. You need to anticipate those awkward, difficult questions. And there are some things that you'll just have to be able to say to your children. That's not something we're willing or able to discuss now. Mm -hmm. And then redirect to the things that you do need to discuss because you've already made the plan. You've already talked it through and you know, okay, these are the needs of our children as we move through this. And that was a great illustration of how that could be and should be handled. And I would assume the, the, the issues they would they weren't able to address then, just making sure that they circle back and mm -hmm. do answer those questions. Yes. Sure. And, and sometimes though, being, you know, again, age and stage appropriate. Of course. <laughs> if you've got elementary kids or high school kids, or some families have them all, they're all going to have different kinds of questions. But it is okay to, like Jay said, it is okay to deflect and say, you know what, I know you have a question about that. And we'll come back to that later. And, and later could be five years later, it, it might not be a day later. And I know as a a co-parent, I've had a lot of questions as my daughter got older, she would ask me, why did you and daddy get divorced? You and daddy get along better sometimes than he and his wife. Why, why don't you and daddy get married again? And in those moments, I would say, you know, I know you have a lot of questions about that. When you're older, we'll talk more about it. Because honestly, it wasn't going to help her to know the why and the what mm -hmm. behind the divorce. Over the years, certainly, you know, kids pick up on things, they have questions, they recognize patterns of behavior, and they're going to learn and, and have their own opinions of some things. And again, a lot of the research we've done and a lot of the long-term conversations we've had, people come back to, especially the adult children of divorce, always saying, I'm so glad that my mom or my dad didn't try to inform my opinion of the other one. They never said anything bad. They always let me inform my own opinion. And so now I will say real quickly, there was a thing on life will go on. I get that, you know, and, and I, I see her, the mom in that role, trying to give a really good scenario to these kids that you're still going to go to school. We're going to go to movies, you know, being really optimistic. I don't know. I don't know that I would phrase it as, you know, life's going to go on because it, in a sense, I feel like if I was a kid hearing that, it would kind of be like, okay, we're just going to jump right into the next stage and there's nothing big, hap no big deal is happening. Mm -hmm. And for a kid, their whole world is going to fall apart. Mm -hmm. So somewhere between, <laughs> honey, it's going to feel like a bombshell just hit your heart <laughs> to life's going to go on and it's going to be simple. Somewhere in the middle, I think is a more compassionate way to address that. But I see the motive. The motive is we're trying to set the positive stage. But like Jay said, kids are going to have so many questions. I think one of the most important things to know before you go into that is where are we going to live? Are they going to change schools? Wh who's moving out? Kids are going to want to know right away what's the plan. And yeah. so many parents will, will say, hey, we're getting divorced. And they don't know. 
I don't know where we're going to live. I don't know. We might move. We might not. And that just breeds layers of confusion and anxiety for kids. So I think having a few more specifics figured out ahead of time is good. And this is a great start. You know, again, they agreed upon answers, but having a little more affirmation of the emotional pain is would be better. Yeah, I, I just piggybacking on what she said there, you know, being realistic and what they're doing in that moment is giving their kids permission to feel the feelings that they're going to feel anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if we're, if we're going to try to paint too rosy of a picture, what that does then is the child's feeling all these horrible, painful emotions and they feel like I'm not allowed to express them because that would be against what mom and dad are trying to do here. They want it to be rosy. I need to be happy about this situation. And that's not the message mm-hmm. we want to give because we know it's not realistic, right. right? And so finding that middle ground, finding that place and where you can allow them and give them permission to feel those hard feelings, those painful feelings, but yet let them know, even in that pain, we're with you. Though yeah. we are coming apart as a couple, we are still beside you. We may not be hand in hand anymore with one another, but we're holding your hand together and we will keep you through this. Uh, the other thing to, to consider is um, the ages and stages of your kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may have to have more than one meeting if there's a large gap in their developmental stages. You know, So if you've got an older daughter or son who, who are in their adolescent stages as opposed to one that's seven, eight, or nine and still in the elementary stages, you may have to let that older child know, okay, we're having this meeting. I know you may have some questions that we're not going to be able to discuss in front of your brother or sister. We will allow another time where all of us will get together and we'll try to answer those questions as best we can, but recognize too that there are some questions are just going to be off limits. Mm -hmm. We're going to have some boundaries to that, you know, and because they're the ones that are going to be most likely to really express the angst of what they're feeling and the anger is going to come to the surface. And so you may want to talk to them first possibly so that that doesn't surprise them and that they react in a way that is going to negatively affect their younger siblings. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Tammy and Jay Daughtry for uh, sharing your expertise and tips on how we can talk to our children about such a delicate situation as a divorce. Now for anybody that wants to get more resources, information as far as your services, where can Mm -hmm. we find you? Sure. Our website is coparentinginternational.com. So it's coparentinginternational.com. There are several free downloads on there. And I tell parents, go check out the top 10 list. It's top 10 things kids of divorce wish they could say to their parents. Uh, It's a really good resource. And then we've got videos and other resources there too. If they happen to be in anywhere around Tennessee, we have a counseling center in Nashville. And that website is modernfamilydynamics.com. And we work with people one-on-one. And we also do some long-distance coaching on co-parenting through uh, today's technology. But anyway, those are our two websites, Co-Parenting International and ModernFamilyDynamics.com. Well, thank you so much for sharing such great information. 
I'm going to ask all the parents that haven't done so yet to download the Struggle is Real app so that you don't miss any relevant topic. Now, for additional blogs, tips, and more, follow us on social media using the hashtag The Struggle is Real or simply hashtag TSIR and download the Family Bridges app for additional resources. Thank you again for tuning in to The Struggle is Real. This ends our Relationship Talk series all the way from the 2017 NARMI Summit. I'm Veronica Avila. And Omar Ramos. Thank you, Denver, Colorado. Oh, yeah. Till next time. time. This was The Struggle is Real by Family Bridges. For more ideas on parenting, get your copy of The Struggle is Real by Drs. Paul Meyer and Alicia Laos on FamilyBridgesUSA.com. 